Uh, we had a reception for them. Just, you know, any questions you have about what you witnessed today, what you experienced. And one of the boys in the group, uh, he uh, and he'd grown up here. This is not uh, an immigrant. Uh, this is somebody probably second generation, third generation Muslim uh, young man. And uh, he raised his hand. He said, are Jesus and Santa Claus the same person? Which sounds at first sounds really funny. But well, you can totally see how he came to that conclusion. Yeah, but he but he didn't have again. He's gone to public school and he did not have a Christian friend that could answer that question for him. Wow. Yeah. So this is this is why I think what you're what we're talking about here, you know, building the relationship is so important. Getting into their lives is so important because um, that's that's part of how you show the love of Christ to your Muslim friend or to another immigrant uh, who, who is new to the United States. Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to Calvary Conversations. I'll be your host today, Dr. Joshua Paxton, uh, director of the Burnham Center for Global Engagement here at Calvary University. And my guest today is Reverend Mike Erton. He is the director of Immigrant Mission for the All People Initiative of the Evangelical Free Church of America. We had a great laugh about the length of that title before we started. So welcome, Mike. I'm glad to uh, have you with you. me Thank today. Thank you for having me. So, uh, so today's conversation is about reaching unreached people groups in North America. Now, we're having this conversation because of a couple upcoming events that Calvary is hosting. And so we want to start the conversation, but we also want to make you aware of some things that are coming up. And so October 6th, Calvary will be hosting a Zoom webinar with our guest, Mike, about establishing a biblical basis for reaching unreached people groups in North America. How does scripture give us evidence for that? And then Mike will also be joining us in January for our annual conference on global engagement to offer an extended seminar. That's going to be January, Tuesday evening, January 24th, on how local churches can be intentional about reaching the nations around them. And so we wanted to have this start this conversation today, but also let you know that we're going to be continuing it through a few upcoming events. So, so Mike. Thank you again for joining me today. And how did how did you get involved with unreached people groups in the United States? Well, uh, to tell that story, we're going to have to go back to the Stone Ages of the mid 1990s um, when I was graduating from college. Um, yeah, it feels feels weird to say that. You know, we just we just graduated from college yesterday, right? I was still um, in high school in the mid 1990s. That see, like I said, Stone Age. Um, yeah. So I was getting ready to graduate from college. Uh, I was at Ohio University in Athens, Ohio, and was involved with the ministry of Crew. And I, you know, grew up as a Christian uh, in in that ministry. But like most other seniors you know had fought had my life all figured out at that point and didn't know what i was going to do but i went to a conference and somebody got up and shared about the country of turkey and the need for people to come and work with college students there and uh it was like the holy spirit said go do that and i said i think i'll go do that and so got accepted um worked with college students in the capital city of ankara for a year uh 95 96 
came back from that experience and actually went on staff with crew for four years. And uh, since the call of God to go back overseas, and at that time, I thought it was going to be to train church leaders overseas. And I thought I have to get some more training myself. And uh, so I, I wound up at um, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School uh, here in the Chicagoland area. Mm-hmm. And while I was there, I got involved with a ministry called the South Asian Friendship Center. I don't know how familiar you are with Chicago area. Um, I'm not very but, familiar with Chicago at all. Okay. So this About is, this the, is a, uh, the airport. That is what I know of Chicago is, is the airport. <laughs> I think most people know the airport. O'Hare, Inter- yeah. Yeah, O'Hare airport. Uh, Midway is a little less well known, but we have two, but uh, O'Hare being the big one. Anyway, um, there's an area of Chicago called Little India, and in Little India, there's a ministry called the South Asian Friendship Center, and they reach out to um, folks from India and Pakistan, uh, so Hindus, Muslims, and for me at the time, I was like, wow, this is great. This is a ministry outlet for me while I'm in seminary. You know, it, it's not, not the same country I'm going to be going to, but, you know, a little more culturally near, kind of keeps me in the cross-cultural um, thing gives me some more experience. Um, but that's really where the ship started to turn for me mm-hmm. uh, okay. and, and to see that there are people that God is bringing here to the United States um, that have you know come from places that have little to no gospel witness uh, among them. And I uh, still thought I was going to go overseas after that, but through a series of events, God made it clear that uh, this is where I was supposed to be. Um, and, and assisting the local church and walking alongside the local church uh, to help them reach, reach out to unreached people groups um, in their locale. And uh, just to extend that a little bit, uh, where I live right now in DuPage County, Illinois, um, the percentage of Muslims in DuPage County, Illinois is 6%. Um, mm-hmm. That sounds small, but national average is 1% right now. So it's six times the okay. national average. And the way I like to explain it to people is if you're in a grocery store, library, some other uh, public place like that, there sure. are more than 20 people there. Uh, one of them will be a Muslim. So it's highly unusual to be in public. Definitely and not puts a more, more perspective on it. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So I think I, I think this would be accurate that our our listeners would understand what we mean by unreached people groups. But maybe, um, you know, real quick, take take a take a couple of seconds and just define for us what what you mean by an unreached people group, sure. just to make sure everybody understands. Yeah, sure. So an unreached people group, people who are their country of origin, where they're coming from, is a place with little to no gospel witness. Mm-hmm. among that group of people. Um, so uh, uh, good for instance, uh, so right now I'm in a, a book discussion uh, with um, uh, some Muslim some Muslim men, um, and they've actually told us, you know, we know our faith, but we don't know anything about what Christians believe. Yeah, yeah, even, even though they're here, right? Yeah. Even though they're here in the United States. So I forget the I forget the statistic. Maybe you can, maybe you recall the statistic, but there's some statistic out there about how, how few um, Muslims in the United States actually know a, a Christian, actually mm-hmm. know, have some kind of relationship with a Christian. And it's just extremely low, right? I don't know if you, you recall it exactly, but so, so you work with Immigrant Mission, 
with the EFCA. What what does your current role with them entail? Well, that's a great question. So I'm going to show my brochure. There you go. Uh, little com little commercial. You can get this on our, our website, the Immigrant Mission. Um, but what we are, we're a, a ministry to first generation internationals and their families. And so what we're hoping to do is to help local churches create a, a vibrant welcome uh, mm -hmm. for uh, immigrants, especially unreached people groups living in the United States. Now, we've already mentioned that, that there are unreached people groups in the United States. And I, I'm sure you're familiar with the, the Joshua Project. Yes. Um, the, the Joshua Project says that there are 98 unreached people groups within the borders of the United States. Mm -hmm. and, and so that is a, a, a population of about 15 million people wow. living in our country. Yeah. So, so what we want to do is, uh, we if there's a, a say a missionary returning from an overseas assignment, to create a partnership with them in a local church, and and we don't necessarily operate in the way of, hey, here's a local church, here's a missionary, let's try to make the connection. We try to work along relational lines. So this yeah. would be a missionary returning to a sending church or a home church, and there's an immigrant population in that vicinity. And, and they would talk to the leadership of the church and say, hey, there's this uh, immigrant uh, population here that I either worked with overseas or I'd like to reach out to. And uh, would you be interested in starting this kind of a ministry here at this church? Uh, and then they would you know, form a team and, and begin trying to engage that, that group uh, that, that is near them. And uh, the, the beauty of it, and we've seen this actually work already. Um, yeah. The beauty of that is they already have the cross-cultural ministry experience, so it's not um, something that's intimidating or overwhelming to them. Um, you know, they, they have a love for the people. Sometimes, you know, they even know the, the, the language. Um, in a lot of cases, you know, they know the language. Uh, so it's just it's just a natural bridge. They can they can build a bridge from that local congregation to that that immigrant people group living uh, in that vicinity of the church. Mm -hmm. And so a, a key part of your strategy then is trying to connect those who already have cross-cultural ministry experience who've been missionaries somewhere else in the world with continuing that that ministry. I recall you know, I recall the statement, you can take the missionary uh, off the field, but you can't take the mission out of the missionary. And so this gives them an opportunity to really continue the kind of ministry that that they're passionate about, even even if they have to come home for some reason. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, and in a lot of cases, they you know, you know, you you've you've lived overseas. I mean, it takes a lot to get there. Then you get all the training, you learn the language, and then for whatever reason, uh, whether it's family, whether it's retirement, whatever, you're coming back, and you have all these. Well, here skills. in the past couple of years, it's been COVID. Right. There's still I mean, I still know I still know missionaries who can't get back to the the country of their ministry still because borders are closed or COVID or yeah, other related issues that have come about because of that. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, they, you know, so you have all these skills you've acquired, you know, and, and the aptitude for the culture and everything. And now it's, I'm just supposed to come home and not use it or I'm not, you know, this is, this is my heart. Um, and so this is a Biden way for them. Price chopper. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. And so this is a way for them to employ those things that God has been building into them while they're overseas. So they can continue it here. I, we live in a globalized world. 
Yeah, it, it's that's the fact. I mean, we have people yeah. moving back and forth um, between uh, countries all the time. Uh, I, I a, lot of, a lot of the ways I like to describe my my own ministry. I don't know how familiar you are with Chronicles of Narnia in the oh yes the, yes the first book, magician's uh, magician's nephew. That's right, this first book. And you know that have that that place that's the wood between the worlds where you can go into one mm -hmm. pond, you go to one place, go to another pond, go to another. That's kind of how I feel. You know, that there are all these worlds that I can enter into, but I don't live in any one of them. You know, I, yeah. I kind of live in this wood between the worlds kind of place. You live in the woods, yeah. So for yeah. those, yeah. For those of you who ha who aren't familiar, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is not the first book in the Chronicles <laughs> of Narnia series. There is another book, The Magician's Nephew. You should read it. Uh, That's right. So, yes. Uh, so why is it important for us like our our, our october 6 webinar is going to focus specifically on a biblical basis for this so why is it important for us to have a specific theology on reaching unreached people groups in north america yeah uh well the, the short answer is you know the theological foundation that's our launching pad mm -hmm. uh that is what uh, determines our boundaries for how how far we can go and places we need to stop you know, so that we can remain that have biblical fidelity uh, to to what it is we're doing. And and there there are several authors who have written on this, Harold Netland, Matthew Kaming, Vinith Ramachandra, Amit Bhatia. Um, but we're, we're seeing a situation as the church in the West that we haven't encountered on a large scale before, you know, with, with uh, migrant people groups coming in in large numbers. And uh, some of these populations now, you know, you're coming, you they've, come earlier they're now into a, a second even third generation and so how do we, we we need to answer these questions theologically how do we view people from another world religion you know how how do we uh view their religion you know what 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 is that um what is that like i mean the question can christians serve halal meat to to muslim guests when they come over you know and, and wrestling with these kinds of things and so yeah um you know, and, and, you know, can we work on things together, like work projects and, and the like? Um, you know, we uh, play, play my cards on that question um, without giving up too much before the webinar. Um, <laughs> you know, we've done Feed My Starving Children. We've done uh, food banks and, and the like uh, with, with, with Muslims uh, and Muslim communities. And then uh, what are, you know, contextualized ways we can share our faith? Uh, you know, and, and Josh, I, I know I'm speaking to the choir here, but... Um, a lot of our gospel presentations we have are suited for a Western audience. Yes. You know, they're not always, and that, that doesn't mean the gospel's changed. The gospel has not changed, but some of the analogies, some of the but stories we present do, it matters. Yeah. And, and, and so the way you present it, you could be, you know, thinking you're really being clear because it makes sense to you, but the way your, your stories you share, analogies you use, things like this, it, you're going to be speaking a foreign language. So how do we think about that and and theologically and um, how far can we go with it, you know, in, in contextualization and still uh, maintain integrity to the gospel? Still be true. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, a key component. Well, obviously you're familiar with this, but a key component of that would be, you know, the difference between a guilt innocence culture and an honor shame culture and how you 
how you go about presenting the information. So in a Western world view where we tend towards guilt and innocence and legal terminology, uh, right, wrong, legal terminology and presenting the gospel, and that can often fall flat when you're you're speaking to someone from an Islamic or uh, just Middle Eastern world view, not necessarily just Islamic, but Middle Eastern perspective where their their focus is more on relationships relational mm -hmm. connections more collectivist mentality versus individualist mentality and i know i'm throwing a lot of words out there but right, um, right, come right. study intercultural studies at calvary university you'll figure all those out right uh so <laughs> anyway okay, let me share a, a quick uh, just to illustrate what you're saying i think it, i was leading a uh, a bible study of people mostly who are former muslims at this point um, but, but we were studying um, one of the crucifixion narratives, and it escapes me which one. I think it might have been in Luke. And it really came out how, you know, hearing the, and we don't usually think about this in Western context, but hearing the insults being, you know, foisted on Jesus, you know, mm -hmm. when he's on the cross, here is Jesus bearing your shame. He's taking all that shame on himself. Yeah. And so that's not something we tend to reflect on, but there it is. Um, yeah. Christ taking that that shame, and so that you can have honor, you know, just like what you're what you were just discussing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's, I, you know, all all of this is accurate. Like we can understand, we can understand the gospel in legal terms, and that that is accurate. We can understand it in relational terms, um, but how you communicate it to somebody according to how they think about yeah. life and reality you know that's one of the things we do at calvary conversations here is talk about a biblical world view um other people's worldviews are different and how we communicate in a way that uh, meets them where they're at can be very important right yeah and um, the testimony of the beauty of the gospel that it, it speaks to all of these worldviews yes yes yeah, it's not limited. It's it's not limited to to just one of them, but it can meet us right where we're at. So yes, so you you did your dissertation research on was it seven seven churches in in the Chicago area um, yep. who who were reaching out to Muslims specifically. Um, why did you choose to do that? How how did your dissertation come about? What what interested you in doing that level of research? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good question. The the so at the time I started it, um, I had been working among the Muslim population of Chicago for eighteen years, and okay. I so there was a personal interest, but I was also interested in not um, coming up with maybe a, a hypothesis. You know that here's kind of a model that is kind of working. Let's see if people are using it, but more finding out what is happening. You know, what are local churches doing? Uh, how are they being effective? Uh, what are you know, ways you can get started in it? So I was just interested in asking that question. How are local churches in the Chicago area uh, reaching out to Muslim communities? Um, and really wanting it to, you know, what, are, what are some ways we can um, learn from that? And what are some challenges that, that we can avoid uh, in that, uh, in that, that, that I talked about in that study? Yeah. So not wanting to give everything away, but like what, what were what were a couple of the key conclusions that kind of came out of that? Yeah, so there were um, so I interviewed, I think it was 21 people and as you said, seven churches, uh, nine, nine events that I attended just to observe them. And 
there were three primary ministry models, which I'm not going to talk about now because you're going to have to come to the conference to find out what those are. Yeah, um, come in January. That's right. Can't give can't give all the way the, all the secrets out. Um, but there are also five challenges and seven lessons. Um, so if you take all of those those seven churches, looking at all of those cases, uh, I would say you can distill it down that they they experienced five hurdles, five challenges. And there are seven things that they did this. They did these things really well. Uh, and we can really learn and we can learn from both those challenges and those lessons. Um, so not not to enumerate all of them, but uh, like some some of the challenges can be things like lack of training, you know, overcoming fear, um, tension in the relationship between Muslims and Christians and how that yeah. is really kind of an inevitable part of it, because we have. Um, differing views of the world, as we talked about, and differing theologies, uh, and we just have to be be honest with that. Um, so, but some of the some of the successes uh, that they did, um, these are churches that were keeping the Bible central. They weren't they weren't trying to hide who they were, um, and and in a lot of ways, the Muslims found that refreshing. Um, so, yeah. and you know, being concerned with things that your Muslim friends are are concerned about, and uh, this is not a a uh, specific example, I don't think that came out in, in my study, but I'll just tell you personally, uh, right now, uh, I my, my wife and I um, are seeing a lot of um, really open doors among uh, a group of folks called the Gulen Movement. Um, they are uh, from Turkey. And if, if you're familiar with the coup that happened in Turkey in 2016, this is the group that's been blamed for the coup. Oh, okay. And so a lot of them had spent time in prison. They're not necessarily responsible. It's just other people are heaping the blame on them. Yeah. Right. Correct. And if you remember Andrew Brunson, uh, the pastor who was pr imprisoned in Turkey during that same time, yes. he yes. he was labeled as part of that movement. I I don't know how they they came up with that charge, but that's how they threw him oh, in prison. Okay. Um, Anyway, so we've had friends in that movement who you know have had to to flee Turkey. Some of them spent time in jail, uh, but talking about compassionate friendship sometimes it's just you need to sit with them and hear their story and just warn right. with them because they're right. not they're not a place to be able to move forward and you know if, if you you always want to get to the gospel but if you launch into a gospel presentation at that point they're not going to be listening so forget it yeah right so uh, one one of my you, you are no doubt familiar with Nabil Qureshi. Oh yeah. Um, if I'm saying his his name right, and so he he's written several books. He's passed away now, but um, uh, one of his I think it was actually his first book, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus, is his testimony about how he came to know came to faith and growing up in a devout Muslim family and everything. And he he tells the just an incredibly impactful story in in that book about how growing up in the United States as a Muslim, he had a lot of Christian acquaintances. And he even really struggled to call them friends, but he he knew a lot of Christians. And it seemed to him that all these all these Christian acquaintances cared about was giving him the gospel and having him accept the gospel. And, mm. and that was actually very off-putting to him because mm. as soon as these individuals, what he writes is that as soon as these individuals discovered that he wasn't going to pray the prayer, he wasn't going to, he wasn't going to accept Christ, they, they ceased any, any kind of having a relationship with him. 
the mm -hmm. the their relationship only extended so far as they could convert him. Like he he saw this and he recognized this, and mm -hmm. and he wanted nothing to do with that. That was not appealing to him. I'm I can I don't think that would be appealing to me either. And so, but what really reached him in the end, what really reached him was a friend that he had in college who clearly demonstrated to him that regardless of whether he accepted Christ or not, he was still going to be his friend. He still loved him. He still cared about him. He still wanted to have a relationship with him, um, whether he came to Christ or not. And and that genuineness is is actually what what led him to the Lord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I yeah, that's that's a wonderful story. You know, and and uh, his friend David Wood, you know, is still very active on uh, social media. Uh, so you can check out his stuff. He has some really great apologetic materials and such. Um, but just to add a little something to that as a, as a, as a personal yeah. story. Um, so this was a few years ago. I think this would have been probably around 2016, 2017. Um, I have a, a friend who's an good, good friend of mine now. Mm -hmm. uh, he just called me yesterday, but, uh, he asked if he could bring some of his uh, high school youth group uh, to witness a service at our church. And, okay. you know, we got our schedules crossed and everything like that and couldn't get a time that worked. And I just finally said, you know what, Christmas is coming up. Why don't you bring them for Christmas? Because then, you know, a Christmas service, they're going to see some you know great traditions, things we celebrate, things that are important to us. He said, that's great. Uh, I will uh, bring my 12 high school boys for uh for a Christmas service. And so the day came and I'm expecting, you know, I you know, talk to our church, everybody's excited, they're coming. And uh, the day came and uh, one car pulls into the parking lot and, you know, some Muslims get out. Another car pulls in, some more Muslims get out. Another car pulls in. We had 40 Muslims, both boys and girls and leaders attending a church service at our church. That is awesome. That Sunday. Afterwards, that is awesome. We had a reception for them, and this is where they, uh, the, the, what I wanted to highlight. Uh, we had a reception for them, just, you know, any questions you have about what you witnessed today, what you experienced. And one of the boys in the group, uh, he, uh, and he'd grown up here. This is not uh, an immigrant. Uh, this is somebody, probably second generation, third generation, Muslim uh, young man. And he raised his hand. He said, are Jesus and Santa Claus the same person? Which sounds, at first, sounds really funny, but... Well, you can totally see how he came to that conclusion. Yeah, but he, but he didn't have, again, he's gone to public school, and he did not have a Christian friend that could answer that question for him. Wow, yeah. So this is, this is why I think what, you're, what we're talking about here, you know, building the relationship is so important, getting into their lives is so important, um... Because that's that's part of how you show the love of Christ to your Muslim friend or to another immigrant uh, who who is new to the United States. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. You know, just real, genuine relationships. We be be real, genuine people. So, um, well, Mike, we we need to draw this to a close. But oh, let okay. me let me for one second. Let's let me maybe maybe switch hats. Let's say that I'm a pastor and I'm listening to this. Um, you know, what, what would be your, your advice? Maybe I want to, I want to start reaching out to, to fecal people. Um, 
close to me, you know, what would be your advice? Uh, what might be some ways I could get started? Sure. Well, start thinking in two about minutes the, or less. Sure, I, I, I can do. Start thinking about the people in your church who have cross-cultural ministry experience. You know, maybe they've been on a short-term trip. Uh, maybe they are a returning missionary who is currently on furlough or um, is are retired or and they're staying permanently. Um, and start looking at that as kind of your pool of folks who have that experience and have the interest in doing it because. As anybody knows, you know, ministry sound any ministry can sound great on paper. If someone's not willing to take responsibility for the ministry, it's going to go nowhere. Um, yes. And these are people who have already had some training. They already have, you know, especially if they're a seasoned missionary. Uh, they they know how you know how to how this works. Uh, so look at that as your your pool of folks who'd be interested in doing it, and then you know identify a group in your area and see if you can't make a connection. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you, Mike. So it's, you know, it's been been great to have you with us today. I'm looking forward to the webinar and the conference. And so once again, uh, for our listeners, so October 6th, we have a Zoom webinar that is coming up. It is free, but you do have to register for it. We'll have some links down in the description. And then January 23rd through 27th is the conference on global engagement. And Mike will be with us there, especially Tuesday night for a seminar on how we can be reaching unreached people groups in North America. We're looking forward to that. If you come, we we will also have a guest with us. I, I can't mention his, his name or organization, but we will have a guest with us who has done a lot of research on unreached people groups in Kansas City. And so not only will you hear a strategy, You'll also hear, here's the people we can start connecting with right now. So would would really encourage you to think about registering and coming. So, but that's all we have time for today. Uh, thank you again, Mike, for joining us and God bless everyone. Yeah, thank, thanks for having me, it's my pleasure. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Calvary Conversations, a service of Calvary University in Kansas City, Missouri. We invite you to participate in the conversation by contacting us through the Calvary University website, calvary.edu, or by calling us at 816-322-0110. Join us again next week for another Calvary Conversation.